0: Okay, this week's Parsha, finally, you guys get to catch up to us. Uh, this week's Parsha is Matos Mase for you guys in Uh We are only doing Mase, but that's fine. Um, it is, I don't know if you've ever kind of poked around this part of the Chumash, it is the longest Parsha in the Torah. Um, and it is massive, 244 psukim. Um, and it's a, lo- it's a lot of housekeeping, because we're basically at the end, right? Dvarim is entirely Moshe's speech. So it's a lot of housekeeping. So let's just run through it quickly, and then we'll talk about uh, five or six points on it. First part of Parshish Matos talks about the laws of oaths, vows, promises, etc. We'll have to obviously mention uh, a few words about the power of speech, uh, but that's basically the first parak. Uh, then the Jews are commanded to take vengeance against Midian for the sin of uh, the Benos Moav and the Balpaor and the Benos Midian, etc. Um, take vengeance, we'll definitely have to talk about that. That is That factors very heavily in this week's Parsha. Um, there's a fight. No Jewish soldiers die. And Moshe takes 1,000 people from each Shevet. Nobody dies. Uh, Chazal explained that these were tremendous tzaddikim. They were not taken for their battle prowess. Uh, Pinchas. How Cohen went out with the tzitz, he pointed the tzitz at the at the kings of, uh, of Moav, the princes of Moav, and Bilam, and the Medrashim. How they were f- they were flying with the Kochas of tumah, and Pinchas uses the kochos uh, of, of the tzitz and the Torah to defeat them. Okay, whatever. We're not going to talk about that so much. But there's a battle, nobody dies. Moshe, when they come back, Moshe gets upset because they let some of the women who had seduced the men into idolatry and adultery, so they let they kept some of them alive. Moshe got upset. Uh, Moshe forgets the halachos about kashering and, and uh, dipping Caleb in a mikveh, uh, which is worth talking about as well. Uh, there's a long calculation of spoils from the war for all the accountants in the group. Uh, the, then the Ruvain and Gad, the two Shvatim, come and say, we don't want a portion in Eretz Israel, we want a portion on the other side of Eretz Israel. And Moshe gives them and half of Sheba Menasheh, uh, gives into the request to live across the Jordan River uh, he agrees on the condition that they come and fight the war of Eretzschel first I didn't know if he talks about how they spent uh, I think 14 years doing that and then they went back okay that's the end of Parshas Matos the beginning of Parshas Masse is an entire list of the journeys of Israel in the desert like I said a lot of housekeeping now um, a long recap of their travels right again we basically started this journey at the beginning of Shmos so we've been three svarim. we're ending off this whole story. So, a lot of list of all the travels of Israel are commanded to destroy all the inhabitants of Eretz Israel. Destroy all the Vodazara. Uh, if you don't, they're going to live amongst you and they're going to cause you problems. And sure enough, you look through Novi, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, we have a list of the borders of Eretz Israel. Fascinating. If you want to take a look at it, it does not align with modern day Israel. Uh, very cool. If you want to check that out, there are maps, and I would imagine all the art scroll, Sfarim, etc. Uh, list of the who will help you, Yeshua divide the land based on the lottery. Uh, there's a list of the Levite cities. The cities are because Shevet Levi didn't get a portion of Israel. They get uh, their own cities. There's a list of those or discussion of those. Uh, there's something called an Ir Miklat, which is set up. We'll talk about that. Basically, what that is, is is that is a place for someone who kills Beshogeg. Beshogeg is often translated as accidental. It is not really accidental. It means with negligence. Someone, for example, is climbing up a ladder and is not careful, and they slip, they fall, they kill somebody underneath. That's, uh, you know, one of the cases given in the Gemara. So, again, that's, if that happens, a person is not prosecuted and evaded in, they have to run to a near Miklod and basically live there uh, for the rest of their lives until the Kohen Gadol dies, okay? So that's, we'll talk about that a little bit as well. And then finally, the Sefer ends off with a problem, of the Benos Tzalafchad. As you know, we mentioned last week's Parsha, Ben Tzalafchad's daughters come and say, hey, our father died, he gets a portion of Israel, but he has no sons. So who gets his inheritance? And Moshe said, if there are no sons, the inheritance goes to the daughters. So basically all of the, the other tribes, well, the, not really, the, the tribes of Benot they were in, uh, I think, Manasseh. So they came to Moshe and they said, hey, if the daughters of Tzalafchad marry people from other tribes... So they're going to inherit, their children will inherit our land. And basically our portion will be less. And so Moshe said, sure, okay, that's a good call. And Akash Barko told him, no problem. That's a good call. And basically they can marry anybody but within the tribe. Uh, and they did so. And that's what Benas did. And Chazak Chazak, Finis Chazek. So that's a very long rundown of a very long parasha. Uh Let's talk about, uh, let's dive right into it. Okay, first thing, as I mentioned, is the, the, the laws of oaths and shvuas. Can't pass by Parsha. The first part of Parsha Matos without talking about the power of speech. For example, Parshah Gimel, and uh, I forget which parak it is, but the third, basically the third Parshah in the Parsha, has uh, it says Ish a man, someone takes a vow, etc., etc., etc. Lo yachel dvaro. He should not violate what he said. Mi Anything that Anything comes out of his mouth, he should do. And the Sefer Achinach learns that this is two separate mitzvos. That one mitzvah to to make sure you don't violate any part of an oath that a person takes and that's the Loya yachel devaro and the second part is the anything that comes out of your mouth you should do there's a mitzvah to fulfill anything that a person swears to do now this part is not as relevant nowadays i don't think people really take oaths and shavuahs much nowadays but just to bring it down to a level which we can all understand speech in jewish thought as again if you started anything about the uh, laws of Lashon Hara, anything Chavetz Chaim, speech in Jewish thought is not just something you rattle off without thinking. Again, we are Speech in Jewish thought is powerful, is legitimate, and has to be thought about, and has real consequences. Again, just to give a couple examples, right? We, we all know that Shabbos starts at sundown, good? But if a person accepts Shabbos early, uh, you daven early, and you make Kiddush early, and you're sitting at your Shabbos table, and it's light outside. It's still sunny outside. If you strike a match, right, you're you're Michal Shabbos. Right? You're literally Michal Shabbos. Why are you Why is that halacha different than if someone had not accepted Shabbos and done the same exact action? It would be nothing. What's the difference? One guy said Kiddush, daven Maariv, whatever. Right? That is speech. Those are words. Right? You have a completely different halachic and spiritual outcome based on words that you spoke. And the same on the back end, right? A person says, right, Shabbos ends, a person says, <laughs> striking a match is nothing. Right? If a person is still in Shabbos though, so striking a match is significant. Okay, it's a discussion if it's after Shabbos, whatever. I don't wanna, that's not the point. And the point is that you can change the halakhic, what we call a halos, the halos, the halakhic ramifications based on your speech. Right? The best example, something you've thought about a million times over, but you probably never realized, right? How does someone get married? Yes, the guy gives a girl, a girl a ring. There's Adem, okay, right? Fancy gemaras and kedushin, etc. But what does the guy say? The guy has to say, hare at Lee, He has to clarify, right, his uh, his intention. Right, he's not giving her a gift for her birthday. Right, he's trying to marry her. Right? When you combine the words that the guy says, and and the gemara explains that he adds on, right, hare at mekudeshesli, k'das Moshev Israel. Right, according to the laws of Moshe and Yisrael, and that gives, based in the power, to interfere if there's something wrong with the marriage, God forbid. There's, that gives them the halachic ability to, let's say, annul the marriage in a crazy situation if they have to. But all these words right, are, are legitimate. They're changing a halachic status. Right, Again, the words that we say, the koch that we say, right, we have to realize that the power of our words, and again, nowadays with the phones, I've met and said a million times, right, the words that we text are just as powerful. Um, even better, the Gemara has a million cases of war. A person says, marry me on the condition that, or this is your get, this is your bill of divorce if X, Y, and Z, if let's say I don't come back for 30 days. Gemara, we're learning in the Dapiomi, points out that uh, people will go out to war um, and uh, they would give their wives a get if I don't come back in 30 days or a year, or whatever it is, right? Though That stipulation, Rav Natsvi Nats, Nats, Finkel points out that that stipulation is based on psukam we find later in the Parsha, by Bnei Gun and Bnei Ruvain, right? It's all tied together, right? Right on brand, right? Speech is not tr- something trivial that we fire off, right? These stipulations, the words that we add to our statements has a tremendous power. It has a tremendous power to destroy, right? Uh, the Gemara points out in Erechin, uh, the Milam Sakhta that the tongue is the only limb of a person that is inside, as opposed to outside, right, and it's also guarded by two guards, right? You have the lips and you have the teeth, right? Obviously, again, Chavetz Chaim wrote at length about this stuff. Speech has tremendous power to to destroy. On the other hand, again, because we're never always negative in this uh, in, in this world, right? we always have to think about the positive as well. Has tremendous power to build, right? This sheer for example, is right now we're tr- creating tremendous holiness. What are we doing? We're just speaking, right? We're just listening to speech, yet. The, because I'll say all over the place, Torah creates a holiness in the world. We say every day at the end of davening, right? That's not hyperbole, right? Bring a shalom, bring a peace into this world through their learning Torah. Uh, think about the power of tefillah. Right? What is tefillah? Tefillah is literally just words. Right? We've said it a million times, but but it's important you don't don't forget the power of tefillah um just one illustration that you probably haven't learned yet there's like crazy gemara and Yuma, and the gemara in Yuma daf sanachtes basically with the chacham and davin to kosh they saw that the yitzhar for avodah zara was so powerful right we talked about last week the yitzhar how in the world people could bow down to baal or when it's this crazy thing so we explained that there was it used to be a tremendous taiva for avodah zara just like we have the taiva for uh, arayos and, and physical stuff nowadays so basically, the, the Rabbanim fasted three days and three nights, and the Kodesh Baruch said, okay, no problem, I'm, I'll give you over the Yitzhahara for a So this is just basically tra- you know, paraphrasing the Gemara. The Gemara says that the image of a fiery lion jumped out of the Kurdish Kadashim, and Zechariah, who was the Navi at the time, said, yeah, that's it, grab it. When they grabbed it, the fiery lion screamed, and this is what the Gemara says, the Gemara says that they said, oh no, what do we do? dilma chas v'sholem arachme alem in a maybe chas they'll have mercy on it from shamaya so Zechariah said throw it into like some container of lead because lead swallows sound etc and that's what they did very weird gemara and again whenever I quote these agaditas I always point out that this is definitely not a historical book we are not talking about history at all we're not trying to give you facts we're trying to teach us a lesson that's the point of agadita but says Ramelech Biedermann it says if they were nervous that the Yitzhahara of Feravotuzara could scream out to gosh Hu, and Hashem would have mercy on it as a result of our Tvila's. So, Kavachoma, 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 our we're certainly Gashbaruch Hu will answer. Again, uh, definitely, this is already more time than I, I meant, to speak, uh, meant to spend on, but again, the shmuzah about Lashenhar usually come other times of the year, and the Yom Narayim is coming up, so we'll get shoes about that. But again, you can't learn Parshish Matash without mentioning the power of speech, Think about the speech. Even if we can't control every single word, we can still control some of the words that we say, some of the words that we type, uh, and certainly we should think about the koch, uh, the koach of our Philos. Okay, now we have to tackle the, uh, I don't wanna say controversial, because I don't think it's controversial at all, but the more, let's say, I don't know, it's not not PC, it's, it's like brain-shattering, ear-scratching, kind of really weird-sounding type of part of the parsha and that is that b'nai israel when i say like this people kind of freak out b'nai israel basically in this week's parsha we're given a mitzvah of genocide and that sounds really weird and that freaks a lot of people out um certainly you know post holocaust and rightfully so um, but if you look at the psukom b'nai israel were commanded to wipe out Midian. the jews brought back women who had seduced the men left them alive Moshe got furious at them and then they killed them Again, this is, again, along the same lines, obviously, the Mitzvah to wipe out of Malik. That's a little bit different, but uh, we have to talk about this. What is the deal? Right? What is the deal with B'nai Israel being commanded amidst of genocide? That seems something that we don't do. So first of all, just to illustrate, this was a very weird war. As I pointed out before, there were 1,000 people per shavet. the tremendous tzaddikim. The, the Medrash and Shirashirim says that they didn't even put their tefillin on in the wrong order that's how how amazing these people were uh, in addition right again the, the torah again phrases this not as in like all right everybody let's kill some people it says nikom nikmas hashem v'midyan please take hashem's revenge on midian it's very clear that this is not a war that the jews had to fight but rather a response right to what the midianite women did right again to make the jews right so to commit adultery and idolatry but still but right. still, what is the deal? So again, we've been explaining this for the last couple of weeks, pointing out some examples uh, in the Parsha's, but I, I wanted to give kind of like a bit of an overview um, and to give a little bit more background uh, into this idea that we've been breaking out for the last couple of weeks. Things and actions, again, if I've said this a million times, I apologize, but uh, I think it's important to point out and explain. Things and actions in this world are not good or bad. They're not inherently good or bad everything depends on context everything actions uh things that uh, items right money is not good or bad depends on how you use it um and therefore you know uh, actions as well everything depends on the context and how we judge that context this is a crucial step is not based on societal norms or our own logic, or whatever it is, it's based on the Torah. Whatever the Torah says is a mitzvah, whatever the Torah says is good, that is what is good. If whatever the Torah says is bad, that is what is bad. For example, last week's Parsha, right? we mentioned it a little bit. Pinchas murdered two people. Cold blood. He murdered them. Tremendous mitzvah. Saved the plague, Akash Baruch gave him a bris of Shalom, he got to live forever. Tremendous mitzvah. Obviously, 99% of murder is terrible. In this situation, it was not. How do you determine which is good and which is bad? So we use the Torah as our guide. Another example. But Israel used gold to build a statue to worship God. They do this twice. Once, it was the golden calf, and the worst one of the worst sins of all time. And the second time, it was the Aron, and they put this with the Kruvim, and in the whole they put that in the holiest place in the world. Example number three: Nodavanavu, our own sons, died many uh, difficult to understand why they died right a lot of possibilities but in just looking at the psukim they brought ketores and hashem burned them alive korach and his 250 men brought ketores hashem burned them alive Aaron a brought ketores every single day and had no problem right he took ketores in parshish korach and he stopped the plague the almost the singular difference between those three examples which i gave you and obviously, this is definitely oversimplifying, oversimplifying but almost the, in, the singular difference between all those examples is whether Hashem commanded it or not. And option A, where it was good, Hashem commanded. Option B, where it was not good, Hashem did not command it. And again, an avodah zara is literally a strange worship. That's what it says. Right? The puzzle says, by another of the Venaviyu, asher lo Hashem. That they brought an Avodah Zara, they did a strange worship that Hashem did not command. That's a positive view So here the same is the same thing. That when we say, Oh, that's terrible, how could the Jews do that? We're starting in the wrong place. The place we have to start is the Torah says, tells us what is good or bad. Yes. And as weird as this statement is, this is how we have to look at the world. Genocide is terrible unless Hashem commands it. Now that is very difficult to swallow. Very difficult to understand. And I will admit that after 20 years of thinking about this, I still do not understand it 100%. But we do not determine good or evil based on societal norms. If women from another nation come and seduce Jewish men and cause them to do idolatry and adultery, and 24,000 Jews die because of a plague, and the Hashem, Hashem is desecrated, it is a khil Hashem, Hashem commanded the Jews to wipe it out. To wipe them out and that's our barometer now again it's much easier to understand when the enemy is like i don't know the orcs from lord of the rings or like thanos's army right? we're fine with that why are we fine with that why are we fine with that that we watch that movie with yeah come them! Them! we're totally fine with that why are we fine with that because for whatever reason for whatever psychological reason we have registered that these factions are evil we have registered in our mind that these factions are evil. Now, from the, if you would turn around and show the movie from their point of view, these people do not. These the, or, just to use examples, the orcs and Thanos's army do not think they are evil. They have a cause and they're trying to fight or whatever it is. But we are much. It's much easier for us to understand it, right? So it's, we have no problem with it when we have internalized that things are evil. Well, what defines good and evil? The Torah defines good and evil. So the moment the Torah says, wipe out Amalek, or kill all of Midian, so then it is as difficult as it is to say, we have to view them like the orcs in Lord of the Rings. Now obviously those are, it's it's very, (laughs) I'm saying things, I don't actually even truly believe it. I I admit that I am very much struggling about this. But that's the message. That's how we have to understand it. That genocide is terrible unless Hashem commands us to do it again we're going to talk about it in a minute Shaul lost his kingdom for leaving one person alive for 24 hours we'll talk about this in a few minutes but that's the truth if a Barakal commands it so then we have to that's what defines good versus evil now again this sounds an awful lot again the way I'm phrasing it sounds an awful lot like I don't know Jihad or some other religious fanatical war Something it sounds, the Nazis didn't really believe in God so it's not a good example but like What do you say when someone's like, oh, yeah, what's the difference between Jews killing Amalekim and the Arabs killing Jews? And the answer is, as difficult as as it is to understand, is that Hashem told us this is what we have to do. Therefore, that defines good, good, and that defines that's what we have to do. Ah, but they also claim to be told by God to do it. And the answer is, yeah, they do. So, but we're right. Ah, but they also think they're right. Okay, but they're not. Ah, but they say that they are. Okay, so that's that's in general the whole discussion between you know which religion is right, and which religion is not. Right? We all have uh, Muslims, Christians, Jews all say lay they claim to are to Israel. Right? All of them think that uh, they belong here. Again, th- that this is obviously not. We're not going to do this now, but this is the exact same discussion you, you can have whenever you're fighting about religion and what is right and who is true. Right? We use, Jews, us, we use the Torah to determine good or evil. If The Torah says something is good, then it is good. If the Torah says something is evil, then it is evil. Right? We don't use any other barometer. Uh, this is again. This is even not as relevant for us nowadays. Obviously, we are not going out killing people. Right? The, Rai, the Rambam writes in Hilchus Malachim that have jumped all the nations. We have no right to go kill anyone based on national, you know, nationality. So re- relax. Uh, we are not. We are not. I'm not saying that we have to go do this, but that's the way we have to view. This is the lens in which we have to view the world. Right. The Torah is our lens. They, it, the Torah is our glasses. Now. Having said all that, if it makes you feel any better, um, I'll give you two points. First of all, Midian started. And that Midian, not only did they try to wage war on us by hiring Bilam, but they also sent all of their citizens. Right? They enlisted the women. Right? They didn't send their armies. They sent the women and the girls right, to go seduce. Them. They knew what they were doing. Right? So this clearly, they, Shmuel Golden points out, that clearly Midian was guilty of including the entire population in the war. And once you include the entire population in the war, so now you're already, that's one army versus another army. Okay, so, so we defeated them. And something else that might make you feel a little better, even though that's not really my point over here, is that this is a safri. The Apostol says in Bamibar that the army fought the battle, kasher Hashem Moshe, right? like God commanded Moshe. Problem is, the Torah doesn't say what Hashem commanded Moshe. It didn't tell him which tactics to use. And it's especially weird because Moshe almost immediately afterwards gets angry at them and says, hey, you didn't listen to everything I said. So what do you mean kasher tzivah Hashem is Moshe? What do you mean the army did everything that Hashem commanded Moshe? So the Sufri, which again is like a collection of rabbinical statements like a madrush, so he said that the law of Jewish warfare, and this again is also brought down in the Rambam, is that, a Jewish In certain wars, they're not allowed to surround... In most wars, they're not allowed to surround the city on four sides. They have to leave one side of the city open for, to flee. If anybody wants to get out of there. So you have to give the enemy the option of fight or flight. So it so says that was the point. I mean, that's how they... Encircled, or they fought midian there was an avenue for midian to escape and once they didn't want to escape so okay so fine so now you're in a battle and then what happens in a battle right then obviously the soldiers go and kill everybody okay but we're going to try and sharpen this more because again i i it's a very again like i said it's something that i've thought about for a very long time i'm still not 100 comfortable with it but let's try and illustrate a little more like B'sachem um, says and then we're going to talk about First, I alluded to, first, Moshe's anger. Moshe gets angry. Again, the, we'll see there are four places in, in the Chumash where Moshe gets angry. This week's parsha is one of them. Moshe gets angry when they come back, like I said, with some captives still alive. The um, Gemara lists off what happens to a person when they get angry. One of them is that a person loses their Chachmah. Right? And it proves it from our parsha because what happened? Moshe got angry at the soldiers for leaving some of the women alive, and immediately afterwards, it was Elazar, a coin who, who took over for Aaron when he passed away. Elazar, the Cohen Gadol, had to give over the halachos of kashering dishes and etc. As Rav Chaim Shmulevitz writes in Chizukos Mutzer, that anger causes a tremendous amount of things to go wrong, um, and one of the ways to avoid anger is to learn all of the statements of Chazal about how terrible it is. But you know, unfortunately, even though we know how bad it is intellectually, right, it still doesn't necessarily help because anger, right, is is an emotion, is a passion, right? It, it comes when a person thinks that he or she is right. right? As Rav uh, Chaim uses a pasuk that Hashem said to to Kain, famous, well, not so famous, but, okay, but it should be a famous pasuk. He said, "La pesach hatas that sin crouches at the door. Uh, so he says. So Rav says that's what anger is. Again, that was Shem talking to and He said, you know, what do you want from me, Etc. That's already a discussion for safe vibrations. But, but uh, sin crouches at the door, meaning sin is always ready for us. It's always ready to pounce. So anger is also like that. Right? It's always a threat because everybody has an inherent ego. And, and people think that things should be like X when they're not. And people then get angry. Right? So anger is something that throws off our judgments. Right? Because a person who is angry right, is always 100% convinced that they are correct. Right? you ever try and reason with an angry person, it's impossible. Right. Even though everyone looking knows what the deal is, but someone who gets angry is unable to see clearly. So the Medrash points out that Moshe got angry three times and forgot halach, and the fourth time was when he hit the rock. Right. In our, right, once in Arparsha, our, our and uh, once in Bayikra, when Aaron's son, when Nadav and Avihu passed away, and Aram didn't eat the certain korban. Uh, once when the people left over the mon and, and, and by hitting the rock. So now, if Moshe Rabbeinu, right, who, whose anger was clearly calculated, Right again, R- 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 and Sirach Moser points out that Moshe was right. All four times Moshe got angry, he was in the right, but it was still inappropriate. a cover us when our anger is almost never calculated. Uh, we have to think about it and make sure that we hide ourselves from from anger and and peel back as much as we can and work on this midah because everybody has a certain level uh, of angry. And again, R- Shmulevitz points out that forgetting your learning is not a punishment for getting angry. It's just a natural consequence, right? A person who is angry can't think straight, right? He, there's no chakma. he has no brains at that point. Right? It's irrelevant if he is correct or not, right? I can think of many times in my life where I got angry and I was right after the fact, right? Not like in the moment. In the moment I was sure I was right, but even after the fact, thinking that I was right to get angry, still it didn't make it, it didn't help. didn't make it right that I got angry. So just a word about anger, because it is so crucial. To remove that from our personality if Moshe Rabbeinu could get angry three times right and three times he was correct yeah forget the halakhos and get because of that is so how much more so uh all, all of us so the rambam writes in the first parak of uh, hilkos deus that when working on yourself right a person should always strive for the middle road right? you should always try and be in the middle it shouldn't be too let's say uh money loving but on the other hand you shouldn't hate money and, and live like a pauper right you should look for the middle road and right? just to give an example in the second parak though. Right, he writes that there are some midos where that doesn't work. Right? And And he writes that that's, that's true of anger. That a person should run far, far away from the other extreme. Right? And his language is a fascinating language. Right? He, gets, he says, hakas, that anger, is Mida rahi ad lima'od. Right? It is a bad midah until a too a lot. Right? He doesn't say it's a bad midah. He doesn't say it's a very bad midah. He says it's midah rahi Ad until le to maod to a lot, meaning he's just adding things in there, that meaning it's very, 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 very bad. Right, again, I don't want to, we pointed out, explains that anger comes from a lack of a munah. You think things should be different, but they're not. Right? Hashem decided for whatever reason you should end up in traffic, you wanted to be there on time, but. There's nothing you can do. So it comes from a place of gaiva. It comes from a lack of amuna. So if you work on your amuna, right, so you realize that everything is gums to the tovas, Mamela, right, and automatically you'll end up working uh, on your anger because you'll realize that, you know, things are from Akash Baruch and you won't get as angry. But, but another piece of advice to how to work on your anger comes from the Yiger If you've ever read, read the Yiger such an awesome little powerful volume. Uh, he says at the beginning that anger causes a person to sin. How do you avoid it? So just like we talked about and we to show on Monday, uh, that our actions causes our insides to change. Right? Very often, there are actions that you can take. Right? A person has much more control over their actions than they do their insides. Right? Emotions, thoughts, that's difficult to control. But you, 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 get, you can walk down the street, you can choose to you know, uh, do anything, pretty much. So do actions which will cause you to anger less. It says the Ramban, which action is that specifically? That's speaking softly. If you can teach yourself somehow and work on the f- not raising your voice, that's the action that will keep your anger uh, at bay. So that's the suggestion, there. just a, a word on, on Moshe's anger, right? That speak softly, says the Ramban, uh, and that way uh, you will remove anger from your consciousness. But I, I do want to just go back to what we mentioned before about, about, about the war and and the, the mitzvah of, of genocide and... and why Moshe's anger was justified and why Sha'ul lost his kingdom for not completing right the mitzvah of genocide. I think this is a very crucial point to explain. Um, but again, what was the problem with... I mean, Moshe gets angry at, at, at the soldiers for leaving right a, a few women alive who had, had seduced the men. Right? What was the problem? I get it. No, Hashem said to kill everybody. But a little bit of mercy left a couple of people alive, I mean. Right, we're, we're Jews are told to be merciful, merciful, What's the big deal, right? And, and Shaul even harder to understand, right? Shaul was commanded to to wipe out Amalek, right? He left Agag the king alive. It was like it was like 24 hours, and for that he lost the kingship. I mean, like, dude, Hashem, like, give him a break. Like, he did literally ninety nine point nine 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 percent of what he was commanded to, and Hashem took him took everything away from him. Like, what is the? I mean, what, you read that story and you're like. How seriously are these people judged? So all the one you could say, yes, you're right, that great Sadiqim are judged. The Khita and chazal do explain, do say that, or certainly about Moshirvanu and, and others. But my Rebbe and Sachs explained a little differently. And now watch this. And this is unbelievable, unbelievably powerful. And uh I think a crucial explanation in, in this whole story. The moment you don't follow a boruchu's command to the letter, right? So you're not doing the action for a Boruch you're doing it for yourself, for example. Or, or some aspect, some element of the action you're doing is not for Hashem, it's, it's for you. Now, for example, this is not a big deal when you give tzedakah and the reason you give 100 bucks to the seminary is because it makes you feel good. Or now you can put your name on a list of donors or whatever. You know, okay, it's not the best level of tzedakah, it's 82% level of tzedakah, fine, okay, not a big deal. Right? Again, as we talked about, again, everything comes back to Mitzvah Zisharim. Right? When we, we sometimes have to analyze our mitzvahs to see if we're doing it 100% or maybe we're only doing it 70%. Fine, but when we're doing it like that for, for small mitzvahs, not small mitzvahs, God forbid, all mitzvahs are big. But when you're faced with, let's say, you know, shaking lulav or giving tzedakah, okay, the worst thing, and I'm not saying this is terrible, but the worst thing you're doing is, is you're doing the mitzvah 80%. But here, what's at stake? Like, realize what's going on over here. In general, as we said, 99.999999% of murders are terrible. 99.99999% of genocide is terrible. If Hashem commands it, that we have to do one of these actions, because the people in question are Chayab Misa or whatever, okay. But the moment you deviate from that command one iota, you are no longer fulfilling Hashem's command. Now you're violating, in a very real sense, you're doing that for yourself, right? You're violating the Issar of murder and genocide. So why did Shaul lose his kingdom for keeping one guy alive? Because in a certain sense, when he kept one guy alive, so that those actions that he took during the war were tainted, and now he was no longer, in a, in a, in a real sense, not entirely, but in a real sense, he was no longer fulfilling the command of Achashverchu. He was doing Murder and genocide, because it wasn't entirely how Hashem commanded it. Once you're acting on your own volition, so now you had the guilt of all of that murder, uh, and that's why Moshe also got ma- got angry at the at the soldiers, because in a, in a small sense, right? They were, they were, they were. I don't want to say murdering a thousand people, millions of people, or thousands of people on their own volition, but once you deviate from that command, it's no longer the command of Hashem. So, what gives you the right, right, to kill all those people? Again, now, now for us, obviously, we're not going around murdering people, but it's a very important illustration of the proper mindset when we when we do mitzvot. when you go to shul because you like the social scene, so and you keep Shabbos because it makes you feel good or whatever, you need a day off from work, whatever. In a certain sense, that's not Judaism. That's I don't know, Sviism, Bellaism, Sarahism, Tamarism. That's that's our own religion. Right? when people you know like when people say I don't hold to that, what do you mean you don't hold to that? that's not what does that mean that's not a thing like what what religion is that that's not that's not judaism that's you're picking and choosing your own religion and now it makes you feel good so now again obviously certain judaism allows for self-expression that's not not a conversation we're gonna have now certainly we can definitely we have mitzvahs that we fulfill and our own thought process during those mitzvahs are unique but you can't you don't pick and choose halakos that's that's not yiddishkeit Right? Now again, I'm not saying it's all or nothing certainly a person struggling with sinu, it doesn't mean that she shouldn't keep Shabbos. I that's not what I'm saying but realizing that opting into some and not others right is not the is not Yiddish guy. and that's what we're trying to say that we're trying to focus on Torah and what a Baruch who asked from us. What the halacha say? Right? When well, we're missing some detail, so then then our dedication is lacking in some certain sense. Sometimes it's not such a big deal, and sometimes if we have the avera, right? of v'shalom. Kosh Baruch Hu tells us to do something that's normally an avera. So the second you deviate from what Hakadosh Baruch Hu tells you, so then you're doing the avera. Again, that that's not relevant for us. But again, we should really remember that we're trying to. Do what the Torah says. The Torah is the barometer of good and evil. That is again, Mr. Yeshua writes it as well. That's what we should be focusing on. That's what we should be focusing on, and not you know trying to figure out right, how best uh, how best to fulfill all of Kosh Baruch's mitzvahs. Okay, let's uh, let's get off that topic because it is a, very, a bit heavy. And I do want to just do a couple more things here before we, uh, before we close up shop. I realize we're running a little bit late, but let's, I do want to mention a couple more things. Again, feel free to, to drop off the zoom. Uh, if you have to go, let's just talk about, t- uh, two more things. <coughs> oh my gosh. Swallowed an ice. That's so weird. Okay, fine. Um, uh, Bnei Gad, Bnei Ruvain. A, very, a little bit odd. Bnei saw about to conquer, Yisrael, They're about to divvy out the land, and Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruvain say to Moshe Rabbeinu, "All right, we want to live on the other side of the Jordan, on the other side of the Yarden." And uh, Hashem, Moshe is really not down. They have their reasons, whatever, because they have cattle, etc. I don't want to talk about the, the reasons. But if you look at the whole parsha, right? If you notice, right, who ended up sell, settling on the other side of the Yarden? Bnei Gad and Bnei and Chatzishevet half of Shevet Menashe. What in the world is going on over here? If you look at the Psukem. Follow the story in the Chumash. Bnei Menasheh are not mentioned until the thirty-third pasuk in that entire story. What in the world is going on over here? Where did Bnei Menasheh come in? Because if you look at the pesukim, very cute dog. If you look at the pesukim, uh, Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruvain are talking the entire time, and all of a sudden Moshe is like, "All right, you guys go over there, and also have Menasheh. What's going on over there? Second of all, why does the pasuk? Co- Call Manasseh Shavit Manasseh Ben Yosef. What's the point of doing that? It doesn't do that for any of the other uh, um, Shvatim. And finally, when the Pazak describes the, the land that everybody got at the end of Parshish Maseh, it, uh, it says, they took, those Shvatim took their portion. And then it says again, And, and half of ben Menashe took their portion. Meaning it doesn't say all three of them took their portion. It says that God and Ruvain took their portion. And then it says that Bnei Menashe also took their portion, even though they're all settling in the same place. So why does it say it twice? It seems to imply that the taking of God and Ruvain and the intentions of God and Ruvain were different than the intentions of Manasha. And sure enough, the Nitziv explains that that's exactly what was going on over here. That... God and Ruvain came to Moshe and they're like, we want to be on the other side of the Yardim. We want to be outside Eretz Yisrael for all intents and purposes, even though they had the halachos of that back in the day of, of Eretz Israel. But we want to be on the other side of the Yardim. We want to be away from all of the other Shvatim. And Moshe was nervous. Moshe was nervous about Bnei God and Bnei Ruvain's spirituality. That they were going to be disconnected and they were going to be farther away and not part of the Klaal. And sure enough... We see at the end of Sefer Yoshua, if you've studied it, so these two tribes build Mizbeach, right? At the end of the Sefer, and everybody gets all upset, and they have to send messengers, what's going on over here? They, they clarify that, uh, you know, it's just to remind our children right, of the Mishkan. But listen, Moshe's concern was legit. And sure enough, these were the first tribes to be exiled hundreds of years later. So basically, what did Moshe do? Moshe sent them, B'nai and Asha, a cousin. Teachers and spiritual influencers, Right, to make sure they'd stay from. Right, they sent, he sent them role models. And that's why Menashe isn't even mentioned until the 33rd puzzle. Right, because they were never part of the thing. And Moshe was like, all right, if these guys are going to be on the other side, I got to send them right, people to make sure they stay in line and make sure they, that they stay inspired, they stay connected. That's why it also mentions that Menashe took their portion differently than Bnei and Bnei Ruvain. Bnei and wanted to live over there. Menashe had to be kind of like uh, convinced and say, hey, listen, we need you to keep, keep everybody from. Why does it mention Ben Ben Yosef as well? But we have by we, we have the same idea by Slavka. Tzlavka's daughters right are traced back to Yosef. And Rashi says over there is because they loved their Eretz Israel as much as Yosef did. Right? Yosef told them to make sure to take his coffin. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu took Yosef's coffin when they went up, up to Mitzrayim to Eretz Israel. So Yosef very much loved their Eretz Israel. Could have gone back to Yaakov also loved their Eretz Israel. Okay, that's a good question, but. Yosef, who loved Eretz Yisrael, that's what Rashi says over there, but it's the same idea over here, that Menashe really wanted to live in Eretz Yisrael. But they were convinced by Moshe Rabbeinu uh, to go spend, uh, you know, take their portion with Bnei God and Bnei Ruben. You see from this two things. First of all, how important Eretz Yisrael is. This is not an Aliyah speech, but the Torah mentions Eretz Yisrael about a billion times. Right? Not just give or take. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's something, you know, everybody obviously has their own Bonos. But you had two Shvatim here who did not want to be in Eretz Israel and Moshe got really upset and was like, what's going to happen to your spirituality? It's not cool. It's not this and that's not that. And sure enough, things went bad. Right? Eretz Israel is something to think about. Um, again, everybody has their own but it definitely has to be part of the conversation. That's A. B, and more relevant for you guys right now, is we've talked about this many times, but again, we'll mention it here again, how crucial it is to have good neighbors, to have good chavre, to have good teachers, to have good role models, to be around to influence you. And we mentioned the Missiyah Zizharim, we mentioned the Parsha Shurim, I don't want to elaborate right now, but be mindful of the people you surround yourself with. Right? Are they bringing you up? Great. Are they bringing you down? Not as great. Maybe not necessarily time to cut bait with those people, but be mindful of how much time you spend with them and how much they're really affecting your thinking. We see another, I guess, along the same lines, we see in the Parsha uh, another idea. Uh, about the miklat, which also underscores this idea to make sure that you're in a good environment. The miklat, as I mentioned before, is a place where people who murder uh, Bishogig have to run. They run away. They have to stay there. Murder Bishogig, just again to define, is someone who is negligent in his day-to-day, he was chopping wood and the axe flew out of his hand and he killed somebody, just to give an example in the Gemara. Uh, and he, that is murder-beshoging. As a to obviously, murder uh, on person, uh, on purpose. So basically, Moshe is commanded, and Moshe sets up six Ari Mikla, six of these refuge cities, three of them in Israel, and three on the other side of the Ardain for Reuven, God, and half of uh, Menashe. Now, quick math nine and a half shvatim in Eretz israel how many ira did they get they got three two and a half tribes on the other side of your uh, the other side of the yardin and how many er miklots did they get they also got three now the math does not work out right why is it three on one side of Eretz israel and three on the other side of Eretz israel what's going on over here right how many people could they possibly have had bnei god bnei ruven you look at the numbers in the census and the end of parshish pinchas they did not have that many people so what's with the ratios? So sure enough, Rashi, on the Palsic, asked this question. And he quotes the Gemara Makos. And he says, fascinating, that the, on the other side of the Jordan River, on the other side of the Yardin, Rashi's languages and the Gemara's languages, Nefishe rotzchem, there were more murderers. Now notice what Rashi does not say. Rashi does not say there were more accidental murderers. He says there were more murderers. And yet, that that's why they needed ear miklatz for people who murder through negligence, not through accident. Through negligence, it seems like if there are more intentional murders, there are more accidental murders. And this is what Chazal pointed out that when there's a society that does not value life as much as they should, so people inevitably are not careful when they're doing dangerous things, like, like I said, like climbing ladders, knocking down a wall, chopping wood, etc. Those are all examples the Gemara gives, right? If there are more people committing murder people are taking life less seriously so they won't be as careful right we have we mentioned it's super important to place yourself in a good environment where not only the people you're surrounding yourself with are people who are helping you grow but also the town this the city the the county the state the place that you live in right not only your immediate social circles but even more extended, and It has an impact on a person. Again, we we sometimes kind of I don't know, say laugh, but we sometimes feel weird about how how insular right some of the really firm communities are, right? How they shut themselves out from the rest of the world. And obviously, there's positives and negatives. That's not this is not the forum for that. But there's a reason they do that. Right? Again, think about what they're shutting out. Right? There's nothing. Right? There's very little in Western culture that the average chassid wants to let into his home. Right? Again, back in the day, you know, the east of the used to live in the shtetl, Uh, There was, uh, what, I mean, once in a while a a caravan would come through town, right? Everything was insulated. Nothing breached that little kind of cocoon or whatever of, of the shtetl. And then you had the Ascala, and then you had technology, and all of a sudden there are no fences whatsoever. So, again, more relevant for us probably is, let's say, people who decide not to have a TV. So that's probably something we can relate to a little bit more. Why do people decide not to have a TV? It's not because they don't want to have fun or relax or whatever or they think that your shows are stupid. No, it's because the values that you're bringing directly into the living room right, impact the people living in the room. It's, it's crucial to think about these things. Again, we've mentioned it in Mrs. Hashanah, just, I'll just try and finish on this. But you have to think about your environment. And if there are more murders going around in town, so then there are going to be more accidental murders. That's because the vibe is affected by the, the things that people are doing. I think about your environment think about your friends think about the neighborhood you decide to live in the kinds of things you want to bring into your home the schools what are the, the what is happening in the schools you're sending your kids to again i'm not uh, telling you what the right answer is obviously but but uh, you know definitely think about those things don't just go through life uh without any uh without any thought process whatsoever okay we'll uh we'll call it here um yeah one little more one more little word eh. all right one more really quick word i that um, it says by uh, just because of the mention the beginning of Parshish mase has all of these travels from one place to the next so one of the travels is uh har Sinai the Jews traveled to har Sinai, and the first place they went to was a place called byuro tava which literally means a place where buried where the, the Taivas were buried uh, so so all the again well, okay, whatever. That's already that we had episodes of that in the beginning of Parshish uh, Bamidbar. But, but the positive basically just, just to translate the Palsy because the Hasidic Sherevas use this. The Palsy says, They traveled away from Harsinai, and they camped in the burial of the Taivas. And all the Hasidic Sherevas all say, when a person leaves Harsinai, you get buried by your Taivas. As we've been saying in the Mishal Sisharim, the solution to a person's difficulty is spirituality, a person's Taivas, they're feeling bogged down by the physical world the solution is just learn a little bit just go back to our Sinai. right again we pointed out on monday where the Gemara says in kiddushin barasi yitzahara barasi torah tavlan and the Kosh baruch who created yitzahara and he created the torah as an antidote that learning torah whatever you learn has an incredible power to push away taiwan yitzahara whatever so if you're feeling bogged down if you're feeling stuck a little bit go learn a little bit whatever it is pick up a chumash listen to the shir Whatever it is, if it's related to the vera you're struggling with, even better. Uh, but that's, uh, I just wanted to mention that because it's, you know, it really, it's, it's a cute vort, but it's also a very, very important vort. All right, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, thanks for coming on.